0: Welcome to the second episode of Fistful of Chords with me, Jim Drury. Today's guest is Chris Difford of Squeeze, one of the UK's greatest songwriters. He's the man who wrote the lyrics to classic hits such as Call for Cats, Up the Junction and Tempted. I first met Chris in 2004 when writing a book with him and fellow Squeeze songwriter and singer, Glenn Tilbrook. Squeeze Song by Song was published by Sanctuary as part of my Song by Song series. With lockdown upon us, we met up recently via the video conference network Zoom to discuss Chris's songwriting career. Please remember, this was recorded under lockdown conditions. So the audio isn't perfect. OK, Chris, um, it's a very nice room you have there, by the way. Thank you. So your writing room?
1: It is, yeah. Um, Not written anything in it yet, though, but I will be.
0: So Chris first of all how are you finding lockdown
1: I'm enjoying lockdown it it's really um relaxing um it's mind consuming it makes me think about how grateful I am for the things that I do and um makes me feel excited about any possible future that I might have in the music industry because the industry's in a a state of unknowing really as to how we're going to go forward so Lockdown is a very thoughtful time. It reminds me of the early 70s when, you know, I used to get out of bed and not really have anything to do.
0: So are you, you, you're not doing any songwriting now at this minute though?
1: No, I'm not doing any recording or writing. Um, Glenn and I have talked about it, but um, so far I haven't really come up with the goods.
0: Are you in touch with the rest of the band much?
1: Um, Yeah, I am. I mean, I've emailed everybody and said hi and tried to keep in contact on the phone once every couple of weeks. But, you know, being in a band sometimes means that you don't have any communications with them for weeks on end until you get back out on stage again. It's a curious relationship, but that's the way it works, I think.
0: Interestingly, I was going to ask you first about... um your childhood and um, you had a very vivid childhood imagination. And so maybe this is coming back a bit um, with your, if you've got nothing to do.
1: Yeah, I think the imagination's there. Uh, Well, it is there, definitely. Um, I just haven't tapped into it yet, to be honest. I'm in a state of wondering what songwriting and what the process of writing is in general. And I mean, I really love songwriting and I love writing with Glenn and I love writing with other people. I'm just finding it difficult to sort of focus in on what it is I'm going to say, I suppose.
0: So tell me about your first attempts at songwriting in you know in the very early days, before you were in a band. Uh,
1: well, my attempts to write were genuinely exciting. I mean, I was just pen to paper all the time. Um, you know, that was my daily bread. I just used to love sitting with a notepad writing ideas down, even if they were rubbish. Most of them were to be absolutely honest but it filled the time and um, it made me who I am today so I'm very lucky and very fortunate.
0: And who were your sort of first influences?
1: Oh there were so many but um, you know when I, when I was at school I used to listen to King Crimson and I loved the lyrics of King Crimson. Pete Sinfield was a fantastically floral songwriter, I fancied that. Then I fancied Bob Dylan and Donovan, more storytellers, I suppose. I went to a folk club with my next door neighbors when I was about 12 years old. And there were people singing and telling tales. And I found that fascinating.
0: And so how important was it, uh, was your meeting with Glenn Tilbrook?
1: Um, well, meeting Glenn was obviously the turning point of my life, you know, which I owe so much to, I, I owe probably everything to that moment in time when we first saw each other and started to uh, become mates. And, um, you know, it took a while for us to settle in. But, um, you know, I mean, everything, I, I've known him probably longer than any of my family members in some ways, which is an extraordinary thing. And um, I think we have a great affection for each other um and we keep a distance from each other and i think that's kind of um, something that uh, keeps us on our toes if you like
0: and how did you write together in those very early days
1: um well i would write lyrics endlessly and just leave them for glenn and he would put music to them and then the next thing he would play me a song or he'd give me a cassette of a song that he demoed It was always very exciting to get a demo from Glenn, you know, I never knew what was going to come next. And it was the most exciting thing, you know, to hear what he'd done. And it was always, um, it was part of our relationship back then. That was just like uh, heavy petting, if you like.
0: And um, so you get um, to the point where you have your first album being recorded and you're taken into the studio and told by John Cale, producer to write a completely new album that must have been quite a shock to the system
1: Uh yeah but I, uh, I admired John Cale so much that you know if he take if he, if you asked me to take my trousers off I probably would have done um, you know he was he had that kind of, you know I'd never met an adult who had been in a band like the Velvet Underground and you know had the kind of knowledge that he had and um I just found it really inspiring to be around him. and When he said that he didn't like the lyrics and that they were too lovey-dovey and that I should sort of try something a little bit out of the box, you know, I was sort of pissed off, but you know, when I sort of sat down and thought about it, I thought maybe he's he's got a point.
0: And so you wrote, obviously, songs like Sex Master and Bang Bang. Yeah. Um, I mean, Sex Master, as I know, was not a, a song that was from, particularly from, um, personal experience where you were made to write a song about bondage and then you had Strong in Reason. So how did you get your imagination flowing to do that?
1: Well in those days I just used my imagination to wonder what it would be like to be tied up to a chair and be whipped by some woman in very little underwear and it didn't take me much to use my imagination to figure that out. Of course the sort of thing these days you have to pay for but in those days it was just in my imagination and you know, Thank, Thankfully, John Cale enjoyed the lyric. Glenn enjoyed the lyrics that I changed, and um, it caused a lot of tension when we were record, recording, as far as I remember, but, you know, it was something that I found that was just part of being in Squeeze. It was part of us, you know.
0: And so, so the second album, I remember Glenn saying he felt The Call for Cats was more like Squeeze's debut in some way.
1: I think he's right. Yeah, I think it was our first. That sque- You know, the Call for Cats and Argy Bargy were almost like a double album um, of songs that we had sort of spinning around in our heads. We were constantly on tour in those days, so, you know, we were kind of taking very little time to sit with our um, songs and, and figure out what we were going to do, and I think that was brilliant. I'm glad that that happened. I think if you have too much time like we do now, for instance, maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm sitting here thinking, well, too much about what I'm doing, when I should just get on, get on with it.
0: Um, Call For Cats has two massive hit singles, which I'd like to ask you about. First of which being Call For Cats. Um, What can you tell me about that?
1: Well, it was inspired by watching Benny Hill on television. Um, Lyrically, I enjoyed his kind of Meandering around and his, his sort of stupidity of his songwriting, which I loved, you know. I I, I don't know. It was a, there was a lot of TV shows that I was watching in those days, and I think there's one in each verse, you know. So from Wagon Train, I guess to, the, you know, um, the Sweeney and all those kind of things, and um, yeah, I mean, it was just inspired by telly really, and by by Benny Hill. And maybe the
0: songwriting, your songwriting became more personal the longer you went on.
1: Yeah, I think it did. I think, you know, when we got to East Side Story, which is the, you know, the, 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 the fourth album there with Elvis Costello, things started to, the penny started to drop, really, and um, I suppose that I could sort of talk about my relationships and bring them into lyrical form and be able to... Um, Self therapy—it's like self therapy for me to be able to write about things and, that were close to my heart, you know. And I was—I suppose that can be challenging for people around you. I know a lot of authors when they bring out books, everybody in their fam family read the book evidently to see if they're in them, and that's kind of what songwriting can do too. You can kind of pick pieces out of everybody and put them in the song.
0: I was always intrigued with the fact that um, around sort of the argy-bargy time uh, you got you got married and then you wrote 45 songs in five days in New York which is people often say if you get happy if people songwriters become happy they lose all their creativity and for Hugh it was the opposite.
1: Well it was so much fun being in New New York I was living um, in a very dodgy part of town right behind CBGB's Um so nightlife was fun you know going to the bars and going to the club um you know it was very hot it was a very hot summer um as i remember it and i, I just used i just found the electricity of being in new york at that point so inspiring it was like i didn't really want to do anything else but sit indoors and write songs and and then go out and have fun of an evening with friends. And that was a good tonic, really, and I think um, you can see there's a lot of creativity in the lyrics to the Aji-Baji album from that point in time.
0: And also, some, a lot of those songs got an East Side Story as well, no?
1: Yeah, again, it was just like, a, you know, those the way those albums unfolded, it was a continuity, I think, and they were getting better all the time, the songwriting. Um, the time between the recordings was getting shorter and shorter and I think that was really useful. I think it gave us the impetus and the kind of spark to get on with it and the inspiration that we needed we found in very short time. You know, I think that was great. I think once, once the touring kind of slowed a little bit, which wasn't very much, um, I think our songwriting got a bit more introvert and maybe not as, so, not as sparky.
0: So it was actually being busy that made you more creative?
1: Busy and young, yeah, and being on telly, I think that was a great thing.
0: <laughs> so you never had, at that point, you never had any worries about writer's block or anything. Because some bands, they get a second album or so, and it's, what are we going to do next?
1: No, um, no, I've, I have not never suffered writer's block. I've suffered Uh, a reflection of my own lyrics looking at them thinking maybe i've repeated myself but then i i'm being harsh on myself if i do that because i'm only one person and i'm obviously gonna go across similar fields when i'm when i'm um looking for ideas because that's what one does it's a style um so yeah i'm I don't think I've, I mean, here we are in lockdown and, you know, I suppose you could call it writer's block because I haven't done anything, but it's not really, it's just that I haven't really sat here and thought about it much.
0: There's probably stuff going around all the time in your head.
1: There is, I've got lots of images of things that, there's a bit, it's like a little um, kitchen in my head and all this sort of, on the the counter in the kitchen, you know, all, all the all the stuff is being prepared for the meal and um i'm waiting for the i'm waiting for the ovens to get hot and then i'm off um but yeah i've been collect, collecting images of what's been going on around around me and it, 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 you know i watch some of the very sad things that are on tv and i try and think about how you know people can see it from a different point of view and what that means so you know i'm working on it i'm
0: gonna ask you a little bit about Sweets from a Stranger, because that seems to be the one part of your career when you, you were sort of short of particularly good ideas.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, when The Hangover Strikes was like the pinnacle of that record for me, I think lyrically it was sort of like, I was so proud of that and the music that Glenn wrote for it was extraordinary. Um, but then onto the dance floor and, you know, stuff like that, it's just didn't stand the test of time for me. Black Coffee in Bed, I think we managed to get away with that as a song um, and it's become an anthem. You know, we play it on stage and it's kind of the song where everybody in the band gets their dick out, you know, it's that kind of thing. So um, it's all right.
0: So how did you come from that massive creative high where you were riding really quickly and really well to being to a point where you, didn't want to be in the band together anymore and uh, you were producing what wasn't an an album which was far uh, inferior to anything else was there no way of stepping back from it were you just on a roller coaster
1: well I think when you're young um, and it's all coming at you at that speed you, 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 you don't really understand what the consequences are of relationships you know you don't have the knowledge or the spiritual understanding of what friendship and what um, your place is, particularly in a band because it's a dysfunctional setup in the first place. You've got five people who all want five different things from the same energy source. So it's quite tricky and there's never any, or at least there wasn't in our case, any conversation about what we wanted or what we, how we felt. So when we broke up for the first time um, we went in different directions together. Me and Glenn went off and buried our head for a while. Um, and then we did the Difford and Tilbrook album, which I think has got some really fine moments on it. Um, but it's a record where there was literally no communication between Glenn and I. And um, we kind of spun off into um, some strange, strange place.
0: Squeeze broke up for the first time in late 1982 worn out by the constant schedule of touring and having recorded five albums in five years. Two years later, Chris and Glenn recorded an album under the name Difford & Tilbrook, while the other band members dispersed. The invitation to play a one-off charity gig in 1985 saw the band get back on stage together, leading to their first reunion. So Chris, why did the band reform?
1: Well, we were in contact all the time because we were working on a musical in Deptford Um, at the Albany and that was something that kept us in close contact um, I suppose and then when the idea came up to do the charity gig to get squeezed back together with Jules and um, with Gilson uh, it was you know we just said well let's just do it and see what happens I don't even think we rehearsed very much we just went on stage in the pub did an hour set and then we came off and looked at each other and went right let's Let's make an album.
0: And in this, the second act of Squeeze, because there's sort of three acts to Squeeze.
1: Yeah. yeah second
0: yeah. act is when you start becoming more personal in your lyrics. Is that a conscious decision or is it just natural?
1: Um, well, around those, uh, you know, around that cosy tea time, um, I think I was sort of abusing my body quite considerably and I was sort of looking inward pretty much the whole time. Um, So to look inward was powerful insofar as that I would write about how I was feeling without knowing what those feelings were. So, yeah, I mean, I was writing about where I was. And um, looking back on it, I think it's a bit out of focus, but it kind of helped. And uh, and then, so if you
0: come on to um, Babylon and on it's sort of a precursor to the situation you have more now where you wrote a song together, you wrote Hourglass with Glenn, which is something you hadn't done before really.
1: No, it was a very uncomfortable um, situation where we were both stuck in the same room together trying to write a song and, um, you know, there was endless cups of tea and bits of cheese on toast between verses to try and sort of put Shape to it, but Glenn came up with, um, you know, a, a, a fantastic idea rhythmically, and the lyric just sort of fell into place. Um, you know, I don't know what it means as a song, but it, it got us on MTV, and it's a big hit in America. People love it, and um, you know, it was it, it, it was a, it was a procedure that worked, but we didn't sort of follow it up again until many years later. Why was that um, i don 't know i don 't think um, i don 't think there was a necessity for us to be together in that way. I think we we both had by that time separate lives marriages, children we were living in different parts of south um, london and, and the southeast and um, you know as writing partners, we were never you know. I mean, for curries together and talking about stuff, we would just turn up, do what we did, and then went home. And in some ways, I regret that we didn't have that relationship because we we could have fostered some different ideas, maybe. Um, but um, it was, for all intents and purposes, a safe place for us both to be. It created a safe envi- environment and... Um, It gave us both the opportunity speaking for myself anyway the opportunity to grow outside of our relationship
0: and it worked it was a work it was a winning
1: formula yeah and around that time glenn went up went off and started doing solo shows which was you know at first i was enormously jealous that he did that you know i saw pictures of him playing an acoustic guitar on top of a car outside a pub and i thought wow that's amazing that sort of he's become Cliff Richard, you know. And I, th- and I thought that was... At first I was really envious and thought, I wish I could do that. And it took me about 10 years to realise that I possibly could.
0: That's interesting. And also there was another thing about that time. You were um, also faced with other people in the band wanting to have their own songs in the band. Yes. Which you weren't perhaps that happy with.
1: No, it's an awkward situation. Our manager at the time had a publishing company, and he gave our bass player a publishing deal. And then, you know, we had to shoehorn songs into the record to make it work. And you know, I, I, I loved the idea of it, but for me, it, 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 it wasn't—it wasn't like a George Harrison moment, you know. And I wished it had been. Um, I didn't handle it very well, and I'm, I apologize to everybody for that I, I kind of didn't really come to grips with it on a very um, sociable level but um, there you go you know these, these things come and, they, and these things go and um,
0: so the, the play album was a, sort of a fairly dark time for you personally yeah um, and you had some sort of internal battles with yourself I don't know how to put that um, and some very personal lyrics at that time um like the truth um, yeah can you, can you tell me about
1: songs like that um well that was the end of my drinking you know i'd had 26 years of it or whatever and um you know i was in a dark place and you know we went to los angeles to record we rehearsed in a house the idea was that we were going to be like the band you know we want to live in a house and form a record together i'd only been there three hours and i checked myself out and found myself somewhere else to stay um you know, there was a lot of nervousness about being around people because I was selfishly taking lots of drugs and I didn't want to share them with anybody else. So the idea of being in a house with other people that might indulge in what I was going to do terrified me. So I went and got a flat on the other side of Los Angeles, drew the curtains and just became an arsehole.
0: <laughs> and then you weren't actually in the recording some of the time. You, were, you went back and you didn't go back to England.
1: Um, yeah, you know, I went back every couple of weeks. I flew back because I just had a daughter, Grace, and I wanted to see her. And um, very expensive to fly back from Los Angeles every couple of weeks, but that's what I did. And you know, I I, I trusted the process. You know, Glenn liked his own space to record and to create, and I was trust. I, I trusted him to get it right, which he obviously he did. Um, and the producer at the time, Tony Berg, who was somebody else you could totally trust. So um, off I went. Um it wasn't like I was sort of sneaking away from school or anything. It was like I was genuinely wanted to see my newborn child and just to be there.
0: How difficult was it to write such personal songs? Because often people will really hide personal lyrics away. And but you you were very upfront
1: at this time. Yeah, I don't find personal lyrics that hard. Um, You know, I think it's, again, like like I said before, it's like therapy, you know, saves paying 150 quid to sit on someone's sofa and talk. You know, I just sit and look at myself and write some words. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, I I love the play album. I think it's beautifully produced by Glenn and Tony. Bob Clear Mountain's mix of it is supremely brilliant. Um, The whole thing is just uh, like one of my favorite records and Letting Go uh, is one of my favorite songs. It's just like the most powerful piece of music I think Glenn's ever written.
0: It's interesting even in some of these difficult personal songs, there's still humor in there. There's, I mean, Cold Shoulder. Yeah. I don't think I've ever, Found a, a song that finishes with such a brilliant, funny couplet. Then yeah. I blow her into a bush. It's it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. And everyone can, yeah. uh, Well, a lot of men
1: can relate to and, it. Uh,
0: yeah. Um, was that important to you? Was it just natural? Was it important to have the sort of a humorous element to this stuff?
1: Um, I wrote that in a church in Rye, in Sussex, and. Um, I remember sitting in the back of the church writing the lyric down and it just seemed to flow very naturally and it had humour right from the beginning um, and I didn't sort of stop to question it. Most of the best lyrics, I think, are written in one sitting where you just sort of sit down and, you know, if I go back to the cooking analogy, it's a bit like peas. If you put peas on in a pan, they're always going to taste great. They're never going to burn. They might be a bit soggy, but they always taste great. And the best lyrics are, like, peas. Oh
0: dear. Um, And I think I'm right in saying that Some Fantastic Place was the first time after, apart from Hourglass, where you did actually write together. Am I right about that, or is it after this point?
1: Uh, No, we didn't start writing together till Cradle to the Grave, really.
0: So... Ridiculous was a time when Glenn, I remember Glenn saying in Song by Song that um, he thought your writing focus had slipped away from Squeeze. Was that a fair um, assessment?
1: I think it's a good assessment. I think um, at that point, the record company were running out of juice as to what to do with Squeeze, you know, a sort of um, Britpop thing had been and gone oasis and they were trying to figure out where we fitted in in it all it was yeah I, I think I did lose a bit of focus I became more interested in fast cars and spending lots of money than writing songs and uh, that was a stupid thing to do but I mean that was just the way it was you know we were spending a lot of money recording records that weren't really selling and they were being a would by a record company that really didn't know what to do with us and it wasn't their fault. In
0: 1999, after the fractious recording of the band's 12th album, Domino, Chris announced his departure from Squeeze, leading to the band folding for a second time. Relations between Glenn and Chris had deteriorated badly, but eight years apart allowed the wounds to heal. And in 2007, the pair decided to reform the band again. In those intervening years, both men made their own solo records, while Chris also went into band management, taking care of Brian Ferry and Marty Pello, and beginning a burgeoning career holding songwriting workshops. Um, how, was it, how important was it to you at this time? It was kind of this time in the 90s where you start writing with other people outside of the band, and, um, and you've started doing songwriting workshops. Now, how did working with other people sort of liberate you in a way or increase your songwriting ability?
1: Well, you know, I've I've been running songwriting workshops for 27 years now and uh, I started around that time, I guess. And I think the writing with other people was challenging because, you know, it was like sleeping outside of the marriage with Glenn. Um, But I soon got used to it and uh, enjoyed the chemistry of meeting somebody new every now and again and sitting down with them and coming up with different ideas. You know, I don't think many of them sort of would come close to any of the songs that Squeeze were writing at that time. But it was a good way of using my energy and not just sitting around waiting for the next record to, to pop in front of me. You know, it gave me an opportunity to meet new people, write songs and just just be in a different place
0: and how do your songwriting workshops work?
1: Um, Well normally uh, there's 15 to 20 people come to a big house in the country we eat lots of nice food and we get up every day I put people in groups of two or three and they go off and write a song and in the evening we perform them for each other you know in all of those years there's been some incredible songs and some incredible relationships, friendships so what do you get out of that? Um, well, I don't really get anything out of it other than the, the joy of being around creative people. And, and a bit, I suppose, I used to put myself in some of the groups as a songwriter, but I don't do that, or I haven't done that for many years because it's not about me, it's about them. It's about bringing people together who've not met each other before and they go off and do different things and it's inspirational. I enjoy it. It's, it's giving back.
0: And how did the the break from squeeze from you know ninety nine to two thousand seven? How did that affect your songwriting? I don't that's think... eight years away from from Glen.
1: Yes, eight years, bloody hell, that's a long time. Um, I have to say that um, I think it was one of the one of the most interesting times of my life because I didn't really write anything um I went into management I built a recording studio in my garden for my and my kids really loved that because people from all over the world came to record there and it was great for them when they were growing up and it wasn't until Francis Dunnery came down to the studio to do some stuff and he he asked me if I I wanted to record my own stuff and I said no I didn't you know I wasn't that fast I didn't really want to get back into being Christopher the singer or the, the guy in the band, you know, it didn't interest me. I was watching from afar what Glenn was doing and I was happy for him. He seemed to be on tour the whole time with his band, a Bus, and he seemed to be full of the joys of spring and I was really pleased for him. Anyway, it, it inspired me to write some songs with Francis and then my first solo record came out and I was surprised at how great it sounded.
0: Yeah, I mean, how important was it for you that it had, I mean, it had critical, if not commercial, it certainly had, they, they both had critical acclaim. How gratifying was that for you?
1: Uh, well, the gratification was lovely. Um, I'd achieved something I never thought I would achieve, largely down to Francis and him uh, whipping me into shape. Um, and from that, grew this other guy who enjoys being on stage for the first time and enjoys talking to the audience for the first time enjoys singing his own songs for the first time so another character grew out of out of my life and i'm very fortunate for that because i can now in lockdown do gigs from where i'm sitting and even though it's only for like a hundred people online, it's, it's community based and it's about bringing people together and it's, it's a joy.
0: So Squeeze got back together in 2007 and uh, how would you say the band's writing has developed? It's a very different way of writing now.
1: Yeah, we didn't record an album for quite a few years and then we went in to do Cradle to the Grave and Glenn and I were really excited about that idea um working with danny baker who i'd been at school with that was amazing you know the creativity there uh the script was brilliant my friend peter Kay was starring in it you know it was all amazing coming together it gave us the impetus to sit down and write songs and for the first time in many years and i think we've cu- we came up with a great collection of songs and and then again then almost identical to the beginning of our career. We then go in and do another album called The Knowledge. And it's almost like that, you know, the that was like the double album. It was like the argy-bargy of Call for Cats. So it was incredible how quickly they both came along together. And they were both uh, albums that we shared a lot of the songwriting on.
0: Yeah, so that's very different. So how did you get to that point where now Glenn writes some lyrics? How did that change come about? It was just an organic change?
1: Well, I remember giving Glenn some lyrics and then turning up at the studio and he was sitting looking at them um, with a pencil and then he was crossing things out and changing them. And I thought, this is odd, you know, what's going on here? And he was kind of moving lines around or coming up with different ideas. And at first I kind of questioned whether maybe I'd given him not enough to work with or you know I hadn't come up with the goods or whatever it was but it was the beginnings of what you could call a co-writing relationship and I didn't kind of take to it like a duck to water at the beginning but um you know once we started to record those songs and I heard the changes for the better then I realized that this was a new part of our relationship that we needed to work on there are a lot of things that um you know, Glenn had done on his in his solo career that had made that has made him a, a really good lyricist himself. I, I'm happy with what I can bring to the table, and what I can bring to the table these days is more about being on stage than it is writing songs. You know, I, I, it's something that is it has become an incredible experience for me and for the band. You know, I, you know. I, we just played Madison Square Garden a couple of months ago, and it was the most amazing emotional experience for everybody. And sadly, here we are in lockdown, and you know the idea of going out on the road now is is something that I'm not sure will happen for a very long time, and I think that's that's sad. You know, I was watching TV last night, and there was this wonderful bit of film about this guy who had a nursery where he grew plants and he he'd he'd expanded his business so he had like 36 polytunnels with all these plants in and he was just about to ship them out when the, the virus hit and suddenly no one wants them so he's got all these polytunnels with tons of plants in and he's had to rethink how he makes a living. So what he did was, he took them round to people's houses. He gave them to people with a bag, a little uh, envelope, and he said, if you like these plants, just donate a little bit of money. And that's how he's kept his business going. And it's kind of like, I think what's going to happen, you know, we're going to be online, we're going to have the cap out, and we're going to try and keep going. Um, Because I don't think the big stages are going to be um uh alive with music for i, I would Im- i would imagine over a year i'd think
0: yeah, it does sound like it, doesn't it in terms of the the new material, how would you say it stacks up against um against your against the old material really
1: I think it's a cont- continuation of the past because it's our songs and the chord changes and the lyrics are recognizable as being squeezed and the great thing about our audience is they will let you know if they don't like it and they do so i'm pleased you know they want to hear the new songs as much as they do the old
0: i mean how important is that because i i've you see a lot of bands who come back and they just play the old stuff and they either don't record anything new at all or they record stuff that's utter rubbish how important was it for to you that you actually brought stuff that was really very good. I mean, those two albums, oh, bloody good albums. How important was it to you that that was the case?
1: Um, well, I think it's important to us both that um, that we have something that our audience likes and that we like too, and. Um, you know, to, be, to continue from our previous career as Squeeze, I think we've done a fantastic job. And that's just not writing songs, that's being on stage. As I said, you know, it's about the whole, the whole process.
0: But do you think it's important to not just have gone out playing the old stuff?
1: Well, we did for a while. We were the greatest Squeeze cover band you could ever hear. But we've grown out of that, I think
0: rest of the band, it's a very dynamic act. There's no shoe staring going on on stage. It's a very dynamic band uh, with lots of characters. Uh, How much energy does that give you?
1: Um, I think we've got a a really great band. There's like seven of us at the moment, I think. (laughs) Um, The energy on stage is extraordinary. Um, We've got a great set of songs, obviously. Um, You know, I don't think there's anything to complain about.
0: And actually some of the stuff you're doing now is, is Squeeze were never a, um, a political band, but there are sort of a few reasonably political songs in there now. How, how did that come about?
1: Well, I think that's Glenn's influence. It's certainly not mine. I'm not a political person. I'm, I haven't got any a political hair on my head. Glenn needs to say things in Squeeze just like I do. So it's a palette that we both share. Uh, we might paint different pictures, but um, somehow it comes together.
0: And so, how long, if if the lockdown ever ends, uh, how long do you th- do you foresee Squeeze carrying on writing and recording?
1: Um, well, we're, we we just before all this happened. We were discussing a five year plan. Um, we kind of set base camp at halfway up the mountain. Me and Glenn and we were discussing how we would get to the summit and it was like a five-year climb. So that was, the, that was the discussion. I guess we're going to have to have that discussion again at some point in the future. But I think for now, I think it's just we're sitting tight, praying that scientists find a vaccine for the virus so that people feel safe about going to concerts again. And for us as a band and our road crew, we have to be safe. I don't want to fly to America to do a tour if I don't feel safe, there's no point. And I think audiences will be reluctant to go to gigs for a while. Uh, I think they want gigs and they want music and they want to have a great time, but I think they'll be concerned about it. At least I hope they'll be concerned about it. You know, the idea of seeing football matches come back into play behind closed doors is kind of... The way forward for football, but it's not a football game without an audience, and I can't see gigs behind closed doors either because it just wouldn't be the same. You could stream a gig at the Albert Hall, but financially it just wouldn't make sense. So um, for for now, it's house concerts online for me anyway, and I enjoy those. And I do writing workshops online with people that want to le- learn to write songs. And I enjoy that, and. Um, that kind of keeps the wolf from the door just for the time being.
0: That's all for this edition of Fistful of Chords. Many thanks to Chris Difford for his time. I'm sure you'll agree he was on top form. I'd also like to thank Tim Bricheno for allowing me to use his music and Mark Taplin for providing the stunning artwork that accompanies these podcasts. Episode 3 will feature Mickey Gallagher of The Blockheads discussing his eventful songwriting career with Ian Dury.